Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 84. It's printed in your bulletin. You can follow along as I read. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Sorry, I was like at the last uh, bit of my cough drop, and it was a, uh, it's hard to talk with like that tiny piece in my mouth, but I'm done now. Uh, this fall, we've been looking at the Psalms, and we started by looking at Psalms that are maybe a little bit uh, reflective of some of the harder human experiences. So we looked at things like sorrow, anger, fear, and doubt. And now, uh, I guess during the second half of this series, we're looking at some of the more positive Psalms that express things like awe, things like praise, things like gratitude. And I suspect with Psalms like these, we may not subjectively feel what the psalm is actually saying. So we might not subjectively feel the awe we ought to feel or the gratitude that we ought to feel. But I think that's one of the reasons why these psalms actually help us. Even when we don't feel it, they, they actually give us the words that we could say or some of the prayers that we can pray or the lyrics that we can really sing into our hearts. And sometimes we may feel as though we can't pray these prayers or sing these psalms until we actually feel the truth of it. But what I want to suggest is it's actually when we don't feel the truth of it is when we ought to sing it. Because as we sing it, it, it has the ability or the power to actually change our hearts and conform our hearts to what the psalmist is actually saying. Uh, I know today is the New York Marathon. <clears throat> I hate running, so I will never run the marathon. Uh, I know some people do, and I don't understand it. But uh, I used to exercise one time in my life, uh, especially when I was younger. I played lacrosse, so I would have to run and train and things like that. And uh, I rarely felt the motivation to work out or to exercise. But one of the things that helped me do it and kind of get in the mood of uh, working out and exercising was actually music. Uh, I start uh, turning on some workout music, and then all of a sudden, uh, it starts to actually have an effect on my heart where uh, there's a sense of maybe, yeah, I want to work out a little bit more and uh, get a little bit motivated. Uh, one, when I was in high school, one of the things I would uh, listen to, one of the first albums I bought on cassette was the Rocky soundtrack. And uh, the Rocky soundtrack, if you've ever watched the movies or listened to it, uh, great, great, like, pump-up music. And I would just listen to it before I would work out. And I think what was so effective about listening to the Rocky soundtrack as I was uh, getting ready to work out is there's actually a story associated with the music. So when you're listening to the music, you actually think about the story. When you hear da 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 right, you, you begin to picture uh, Sylvester Stallone starting to, like, run. And you get a little bit drawn into the story. And I, I think... 
you know, we don't want to underestimate the power of song and what the Psalms can actually do for our hearts. And what I want to suggest is when we don't feel like it, right, when we don't feel like expressing or doing the things that the Psalm says, uh, those are the times where we actually need to pray these Psalms and sing these Psalms so that it can uh, really seep into our hearts. Now, some of the, these Psalms that we're going to look at, it's, it's kind of like the, the Rocky soundtrack. Um, and a Psalm like today is, is a wonderful Psalm. And it, I think it, it's something that will do that for us when we don't feel it. Now, I titled this sermon Hope, and I don't think that's actually a, a great title because it's not really reflective entirely of what the psalm is about. It's not enough to really capture what the psalm is saying. Uh, this psalm is about this deep longing for home, uh, which is understood here as the dwelling place of God. And we can actually see this, this progression taking place in the psalm where it begins with a sense of yearning and then it goes from a, to a place of moving or journeying and then finally to a place of arriving. So we'll look at those three things as we look into the psalm. So this first part, uh, this idea of yearning, if you look at the first section of the psalm, what it expresses is a longing of the soul. Verse 2, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. This verse, it expresses this deep desire for the dwelling place of God. Verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. When the psalmist is expressing this uh, longing for the courts of the Lord, it's, it's, just, it's a really a reflection for a longing for home. I want to go home. I want to be at home. Uh, a sparrow is a small bird, and if you think about the behavior of birds, they're basically nomadic. They fly from place to place or tree to tree until they build a nest and find a place where they can uh, lay eggs for their young. And what the psalmist is saying is, right, describing, I guess, people in general kind of as these, like, nomadic creatures flying from tree to tree, looking for a nest, looking for a home. And even here, even the Lord provides that nest. And I think that's a really good descriptor or picture or illustration for maybe some of us. Because whether we realize it or not, there's always going to be this deep longing within our hearts for home. And I imagine this is especially true of New Yorkers. Uh, many New Yorkers are transplants, and therefore, uh, maybe you don't feel like New York is your home, uh, at least when you first came to New York. Maybe that's how you felt. Uh, when we think of home, we usually think about what? We think about the relationships or the people around us. We think about whether it's family or the friends that we have. We, we think about a place where we feel comfortable or rooted or secure. Uh, we also think about a place where we uh, actually can feel rest so like a bird, what we try to do is we're, we're trying to create a home. We're trying to create some kind of nest here. And some of us are able to do it, but I think other people maybe have a little bit of a hard time doing it in a place like New York. Because many of us, I think, in our hearts, we feel a little bit restless. That's why we feel anxious about the future. That's why we feel anxious about the uncertainty of the future. Many of us, we don't even know if we're going to be in New York in two, three, four, five years. Many of us... Uh, we don't even know if uh, we're going to uh, have the same friends or the same community in two, three, four, five years. People are moving all the time. And so perhaps there's this kind of like one foot in, one foot out kind of mentality uh, for people in New York. And therefore, we always feel like we're in flight. We never feel like we're rooted. We never feel like we've situated ourselves or landed anywhere here in New York. And, you know, at the same time, though, we need a home and we want a home. And we want to create a nest because we feel rootless and unsettled. And that's, I think, where a lot of our anxiety comes from. Deep down in our hearts, we long for home. And without a sense of home, we feel restless. Now, home and rest, I think these two things tend to go together. 
if we don't feel settled and if we don't feel like we're at home, then it's hard to feel rested. Uh, my father, he is not a great traveler. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit difficult to go on vacations with him. And one of the reasons is because uh, when he's not in his own bed, when he's not in his own room, when he's like in a hotel room or some other house, uh, he can't sleep because it's just not his bed. He's, he just loves home so much that uh, he can only get rest in his own bed and in the comforts of his own home. So when we travel, uh, he's always really tired and he's always uh, really lacking rest because he's not home. I think many people first come to New York without a home. And uh, the common experience is, you know, either you, uh, you're testing New York out so you, you find a friend's couch to sleep on for maybe a couple days or a month or uh, maybe you kind of find yourself in some kind of temporary housing situation. I- if you've experienced that, then you know what maybe the feeling is kind of like to not have a home and uh, to lack the rest that comes with having a home. This psalm reflects that kind of restlessness, not only because, uh, not from a physical sense of restlessness, but a deep, deep soul kind of restlessness. It's a yearning for home that I think is universal to the human experience. All of us yearn to feel at home. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's an he's a old preacher, um, and I, he wrote a sermon on the, he wrote a couple sermons on this passage, and I read a couple of his sermons, and he said something interesting. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, his former vocation before he was a pastor, uh, he was a medical doctor, and then he became a pastor, but he, he noticed, you know, a lot of the health issues that, the health ailments that are common uh, in the modern world, he says, are, are related to uh, stress and anxiety. So he points to diseases of the heart, things like blood pressure, things like nerves, anxiety, uh, issues of the, what he calls the neuroses. <clears throat> and he says all of these physical health issues and the proliferation and the increase of them, the lack of sleep and all of these things associated with that, he says it's rooted in a, a deep sense of restlessness. <coughs> now, maybe the sociological explanation for this we could say, well, it's due to uh, the rise of mobility because of globalization. We have cars, we have airplanes, we have all these other kinds of transportation now. We're not stuck in the, the city or the town we grew up in. People are moving all the time. But I think the theological explanation for this is our souls ultimately yearn to feel at home, to be at home, because home promises, promises us a sense of rest. Everyone is looking for it, I think, in different places. But the psalm shows us that we ought to be looking for it in the dwelling place of God. Second thing we see in the psalm, there's a sense of movement, or there's a sense of a journey taking place in the psalm. And if you just look at some of the words and the phrases that are used in verses 5 to 7, they're all moving words, right? Verse 5, you see the highways of Zion, which some translations translate as this pilgrimage. Uh, In verse 6, they go through the valley of Baca. In verse 7, they go from strength to strength. All of these verbs and all of these phrases and all these words convey the sense of movement or the sense of journey. There's a sense in which the yearning in the first part of the psalm leads to this movement towards the dwelling place of God. And of course, in the original context, it could be referring to the pilgrimage that Jewish people would oftentimes make going to Jerusalem. But I think in our case, it shows us that the way home and the way to feel and experience deep soul rest is ultimately to get on the highway to Zion. Or to put it another way, uh, we have to get on the road that God lays out, that God lays out for us, which ultimately leads to his presence. Now, for some of us, that's not always easy to do, and that's not easy to accept. 
we are <coughs> living in a very individualistic culture, and because of that, it tends to elevate the individual and the self, which means that in our culture, people are generally more comfortable uh, trying to blaze their own path or find their own way or make their own way. And one aspect of the Christian faith that people tend to struggle with is the part that says Jesus is the only way to God. And I can understand, of course, why that would be a struggle, especially to people in our culture. But I also think it's a, it's a heightened struggle uh, for many people uh, because we live in such a pluralistic society. Uh, people want to be presented with several roads. Uh, we want options. We want to look at all the roads and see where all the roads lead and the path of these roads, and we want to choose which road is best suited for us. But what I think tends to happen, at least speaking from my perspective, is uh, when people blaze their own paths, I think people just kind of get a little bit lost and stay in that period or that movement phase uh, for a very long time. And you talk to people, and maybe some of us here, there's always a sense of, like, searching, right? I haven't arrived. I'm always searching. Uh, I'm not sure where life is leading, and I'm, I'm just searching and searching and searching. And choosing our own path, I, I think never actually leads anywhere, and we kind of get stuck trying to, like, make a right turn here and a left turn here and a left turn here and not really sure where it's going to end up. And what the result of it is, at least emotionally speaking or spiritually speaking, is we end up in a place of uh, greater anxiety and a place of discontent, and there's something deep within our souls that, again, longs for rest, longs for a sense of home. You see, the psalm, it shows us clearly that home is where God's presence is. That is home. That's the ultimate destination. That is the only place where we are going to feel the comfort and the security and the peace and the rest that our souls long for. That's the only place where we're going to experience this fullness of joy and fullness of life. And uh, not to jump ahead, but if you look in verse 11, how is God described in verse 11? God is a sun and shield. Why is he described that way? Because just like sun gives light and life, and a shield protects one from danger, so too does God do that for us. You see, the key to the journey is that it has to lead somewhere, and it has to lead to the right place. It has to lead home, and we can't remain nomads forever. We can't stay in this period of uh, movement forever, but in order to get there, what we have to do is we have to take this highway to Zion that God lays out. We have to walk the path that he sets for us because that is a path that leads home to his dwelling place. Now, by the way, as an aside, I should also say this. We should also see that this path is not necessarily the easiest path or the path of least resistance. You know, some people may turn to the Christian faith with this kind of expectation. If I become a believer, then all my problems go away and life becomes easier. But oftentimes that is not actually the case because if you notice here, part of the path, they have to go through the Valley of Baca, which is a very dry and arid place. It's like a wilderness, uh, which in the Old Testament was a place of trial and a place of testing. So there will be rain one day, there will be renewal one day, there will be new life and new creation one day, but nevertheless, the highway to Zion also is going to inevitably come with some trial and testing and hardship. Now finally, the, the psalm, uh, it arrives and here we see the destination, and here we see the conclusion. It arrives in the house of God, and as the psalmist arrives in the house of God, it comes to a couple conclusions. Verse 10 says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
The first thing that he concludes is this. There is nowhere that is better than being in the dwelling place of God. There is nowhere better than being in God's house, in God's fellowship, in God's presence. Nowhere. And there are two ways of expressing this. First, he makes a comparison in length of time. A day in God's courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. A thousand days anywhere else. One day in God's court is that much better. You know, there's a scene uh, from the movie Good Will Hunting. I know it's a little bit dated, but there's a scene where the Robin Williams character, uh, I forgot his name or the, char- the name of the character, but he's telling Will Hunting, the character played by Matt Damon, He's telling him about uh, how he had tickets to Game 6 of the 1975 World Series. Now, I'm not a huge baseball fan. Uh, I don't really know why that's such a historic game, but I guess especially for Boston Red Sox fans, it's like a huge game, memorable, very historic. And so he's telling uh, uh, Will Hunting about this game and how he had tickets, and it's like, yeah, this was happening, and there was so much drama, and this was like the best game to be a part of. And then he says, but I wasn't there. I had tickets, but I didn't go. And Matt Damon's like, what? How, why didn't you go if you had these tickets? How did you not go? And basically, Robin Williams, he's like, you know, that's where I met my wife. Right? I met my wife before the game in a bar. And I decided to uh, just stay with her and talk to her rather than go to this game. And he's like, oh, are you kidding me? Do you regret that? Do you regret missing that game? And Robin Williams says, no, I don't. Right? You had to see her. Right? She's the girl of my dreams. Basically, he's saying... Uh, I don't regret missing that historic game at all because I got to spend that moment and meet my future wife. You know, this psalm, I think, is saying something similar uh, in the sense that, you know, a day in the courts of the Lord, it's better than a thousand elsewhere. It's better than a thousand game sixes of the World Series in 1975, if you're a Red Sox fan. Think about the, the most exciting and the best place that you could possibly be the psalmist is saying one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand of those days. It's so good, in fact, that being a doorkeeper, a position of low status in the house of God rather than to dwell in the tent of wickedness is that much better. Second conclusion he reaches in verse 11. He says this, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Uh, this connects a little bit to the psalm that we saw a couple weeks ago, Psalm 73, where the psalmist, he's, he's wrestling with the goodness of God. And ultimately, he concludes that God isn't good because he gives us good things, but God is ultimately good because he gives us himself. He gives us his presence. He doesn't withhold himself from us, and therefore, his nearness is ultimately for our good. That's the conclusion that is reached in Psalm 73. Verse 11, I think, is affirming something similar. You know, sometimes we may feel as though God is withholding good from us uh, because he doesn't give us what we want or he doesn't give us what we think we need. Uh, If God doesn't give us a job, if God doesn't give us a home, if God doesn't give us a spouse, if God doesn't give us a child, whatever uh, it is that we think we need, it's it's really easy to fall into the place of kind of saying, God, God, why are you withholding good from me? But you see, just as Asaph in Psalm 73 gains this new perspective entering into the sanctuary of God, coming into God's presence, this psalm reaches that conclusion in the courts of the Lord, in the presence of God, in the dwelling place of God. And the conclusion is this, God doesn't withhold any good thing from us. And we can be sure of that because he doesn't withhold himself. He gives us a home and we can dwell 
where he dwells. Now, the language of home, it's meant to communicate something more than an apartment, more than a house, more than maybe things that we associate with home. The language of home is actually meant to communicate presence and relationship. Presence and relationship. Think about the impact of sin. One of the effects of sin is that it alienates and it leads to exile. Okay? Sin alienates and exiles. In the Garden of Eden, when after Adam sins, what happens? They're exiled from Eden. They are alienated from God. When Israel sins against God by worshiping other idols and other gods and disobeying God's law, what happens? They're exiled from Jerusalem and they're forced to go into Babylonian captivity. And they are once again alienated from the presence of God. That, that is ultimately the effect that sin has. Sin alienates us from God and moves us away from God's home, from God's dwelling. And, you know, that dynamic, you, you see it even work on a human level because, you know, if you do something wrong to a friend, well, what you end up doing essentially is you're alienating yourself from that friend. You're creating some kind of relational distance, and it, only, it takes reconciliation to uh, bridge that gap of distance once again and to come together once again. But that's essentially what sin is and what sin does. It alienates us and exiles us from a relationship with God. And you see, all of our longings, all of our longings, think about what you desire. Think about why you're anxious. Think about why you feel restless. I submit to you, all of those things that we feel are a result or a reflection of the sense of alienation that we feel, the sense that we are not home and we're trying to get there and we're trying to create home the psalm longs for god's dwelling it moves towards his dwelling place and it arrives ultimately in his courts and it's a journey that we would love to replicate but how do we do it how do we get there that's where the gospel comes in jesus christ makes that way for us We have experienced exile. We have experienced alienation from God because of our sin. But you know, when Jesus dies upon the cross for our sin, what that essentially means is that he takes upon that experience of exile and alienation. He is exiled from the presence of God expressed when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is the one who is alienated from God. That relationship between father and son is severed. He does it so that we would be exiles no more. You know, Jesus couldn't even be a doorkeeper in the house of God because he was cast out because of our sin. You see, that's why the cross is such a symbol of love for a Christian. It's not saying this, that Jesus simply suffered this harsh physical death, but it's saying that Jesus suffered a harsh death and was cast out from the presence of God, from his own dwelling place, because of our sin. And why did he do it? So that we would have a home. So that we would be exiles no more. You know, in that sense, Jesus takes, actually, he takes the journey through the valley of Baca, through the wilderness, through the dry and arid place, through the place of death, so that we might receive and experience the life-giving springs, the sense of renewal, the sense of new creation. Now, some of us, uh, 
perhaps, I would hazard to guess, maybe we feel a little bit stuck. Uh, we, we feel we're stuck because uh, we long for a home and we're not really sure how to get there. Um, maybe we know in our minds, okay, I should long to be at home with the Lord. But I still feel anxious and I still feel like I don't have a sense of rootedness. We feel like we're perpetual nomads, constantly moving and looking for a place to settle down. Maybe part of the problem is uh, we don't really believe that the best place to be is God's dwelling. Because maybe if we did, um, maybe we would prioritize things like prayer and worship more than other things. Maybe the other part of the problem is we don't realize Jesus is ultimately the answer the path that is set for our hearts that are so homesick and longing for a home. He makes a way. He builds the highway. He pays the mortgage with his blood so that we might move in. But maybe we want to blaze our own path and do it our own way. You know, if you're not a Christian, this is what the gospel promises. But if you are a Christian, you know that this world is not your home. This world is not your ultimate home. But perhaps the path that you're on doesn't really reflect that you believe that. You know, that's why the conclusion of this psalm is so fitting. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Trust. Faith. Trust. It's only when we trust God, which means when we trust that there is truly no greater place to be than in his dwelling place which means that we trust that a day in his courts is truly better than a thousand elsewhere, which means that we trust that God is a sun and a shield, that he is our light, our life, our protection, which means we trust that God himself does not withhold any good thing from us. That is the point in which we experience the blessing that this psalm speaks of. For those of us who feel like we've been on this lifelong search for what home is supposed to be and what home represents, ask yourself, how's that going? How's it going? My guess would be probably not well. Or if it's going well, eventually not well. My guess would be you're tired and frustrated, discontent. My guess would be you feel unsettled and uneasy about your life. Therefore, press the solutions. Get on the highway to Zion. Get on the path that God sets to himself and to his presence. How do we do that practically? I wish I had some super profound, insightful thing. Uh, but as I get older, I, I really do think it's, you know, in some ways the Christian life is simple. Uh, it comes down to prayer, uh, worship, and being in the Word. And uh, I know we feel like we have to make it, you know, more fancy than that. But I, I really do think it's that simple. How do we practically do that? Uh, we, we have to spend more time in prayer and worship and, and being in His Word and communing with God and being in fellowship. Now look, I know everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. But you know, we we have to stop saying we're too busy to uh, participate in these spiritual disciplines. Because you know, the reality is when we say we're too busy to pray or worship, when we say it's not the right time, what that really means is this. Uh, We just don't find it important enough to actually make it a priority. Uh, A couple months ago, I think, I preached on Haggai 1. That's the message of Haggai 1. Uh, The people there say, it is not the right time to rebuild the temple. And God calls them out and says, 
uh, you're just making an excuse, basically. Really, the temple is not a priority to you. Worship is not a priority to you. Perhaps for us, um, instead of saying we're too busy, let's just rephrase that and see what, what kind of effect it has upon our hearts and upon our life of repentance. Let's not say we're too busy. Let's say it's just not a priority to us. And let's just be honest. And perhaps that's the first point. <laughs> perhaps that's where it starts, this life of repentance. And perhaps then we begin to see, you know, God's dwelling place is not a priority to me, and it's not the path that I own, I'm on. And perhaps by God's grace and his kindness, he leads us to a place of repentance. And we get on that path. If you feel that way, anxious, restless, try it this week and see how the Lord moves in your hearts. You know, I also think we have to use a psalm as it's intended to be used because, uh, look, let's just be honest. Uh, I'm sure many of you don't feel like what this psalm is saying. When I read this psalm, I don't always feel like what the psalm is saying. Uh, there's anxiety in my heart, restlessness in my heart as well. Let's use a psalm as it's intended to be used. Uh, let's sing it into our hearts. Let's read it over and over, meditate upon it. Let's pray it. It's, it's like listening to the Rocky soundtrack in order to draw you into a story and give you the strength and the motivation and the different outlook to exercise and to work out. We have to pray and to sing these psalms. It's a tool for us to really remember there is no better place to be than to dwell in the house of the Lord. And we do that in our personal times of worship. We do that in our personal times of prayer. We do it here together as we come on Sundays and as we worship God together. These are indeed important times because you know what this is? You know what we're doing now as we gather and we worship? We gather to remember where our home is. Six days a week, we're living as aliens and sojourners in this world because this world is not our home. We're living as exiles in this world. When we gather together on Sundays, you know what this is? This is homecoming. <laughs> this is a reminder that this world is not our home, but there is a home that is to come that is promised and guaranteed to us because of the blood of Christ. And as we gather, let's remember that and let's be drawn to that and let's let that reality, that home, shape everything in our lives and in our hearts. Let's pray together.